This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonners. This is episode 86 and today we're going to be talking a little bit of TLC, of course the WWE pay-per-view that's going to be airing on the WWE Network this coming Sunday and along with my guest host who I'll introduce very very soon, we'll be talking about TLC the matches and predicting some of the outcomes hopefully. We'll be doing our usual recap of this week's NXT and AEW Dynamite and of course our guest host will be thrown into the lion's den towards the end of the episode with a two minute brain buster quiz and we'll see how they get on there with they can kind of get anywhere near the top of the leaderboard which is currently occupied by Grizz who has nine correct questions or nine correct answers in two minutes but as I like to do at the beginning of every single episode is to throw out our social media plugs so you know where to find us on social media say hi get in touch um, ask any questions and of course you can find us on twitter our twitter handle is at with underscore pod that's at with underscore pod you can find us also on instagram just go out and search us on instagram wrestling with Johnners, and go ahead and find our uh, fun friendly interactive ever popular facebook community page just search on facebook wrestling with Johnners, and that's Johnners spelled j-o-h-n-e-r-s and of course if you enjoy listening to this podcast please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can be notified every time a new episode drops and you can find the wrestling with Jonas podcast on all popular podcasting platforms including apple google podcast spotify podbean and youtube of course so please spread the word give us a follow on all of our social media pages and subscribe to our podcast and youtube channels so can I introduce to uh, to you lovely listeners our special guest. He's not been on the podcast before, um, but uh, you may have seen some of his handiwork on the Facebook page. For those of you that uh, are part of the Wrestling with Jonas Facebook page, he's the, he's the man behind the, the cover art for our one-year anniversary episode of Wrestling with Jonas podcast. Um, and I want to introduce to you Nick Tower. So, Nick, uh, good afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm all good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, no, you're, you're welcome to... Yeah, it's great to have you on board. And uh, as I alluded to there, Nick, you were the man behind that uh, amazing bit of cover art for our uh, first year anniversary edition of the podcast. And uh, I think I spotted some of your artwork um, out there on Facebook and I kind of got in touch and I said, Nick, love what you're doing. I love this, this picture that I saw. I said, it's our one year anniversary coming up soon. How do you fancy kind of doing a, a bit of artwork? Um, and I think I, I hinted that I wanted it to be NXT or NXT UK based and you delivered the goods. So uh, uh, t- tell us a little bit about that, that artwork, first of all. And uh, you kind of jumped on board very quickly you, and, and a very important part of that anniversary episode, buddy. Um, yeah, well, just been a fan of the page for a while. So obviously we've been talking backwards and forwards just via comments and stuff. And then when you ask me to do that, I'm more than happy to do it. Um, it's just, you know, it helps me get my stuff out there. But also um, what you guys are doing is awesome. So I was more than happy to offer the support. Um, yeah, when we talked about it, also you mentioned the NXT and then it was the some NXT UK guys, obviously with us being UK based, it's nice to show yeah. them a bit of love. So, yeah, again, you know, it's just um, 
what I do. And yeah, if it helps, it helps and more than happy to do it. And I'm, I'm really glad like you liked it. Yeah, and no, I absolutely loved it. And uh, one of my favourite uh, pieces of uh, cover art, and I, I design all my other cover art, but that one really stands up. I think that's possibly my favourite bit of cover art for all of my episodes so far. Um, but um, you've obviously got a passion and, a, and, a, and an amazing talent for art, and uh, you're clearly a, a big wrestling fan as well. What made you kind of think to combine the two then and do a lot of your your, your, your art pieces around professional wrestling then, Nick? Uh, it started off with the um, British wrestlers. I've started. I've been drawing for years and years and years, but I started drawing um, wrestling themed stuff uh, after I started going to British shows about nine, ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was, again, it was just a way for me to sort of, you know, these guys go out, the guys and girls go out and absolutely smash it um, for us as entertainment. And it was just my way of saying thank you. Um, obviously, supporting the shows and stuff, but it also hopefully gives them a bit of a nice buzz to sort of see some artwork or something that somebody's taken a bit of time for you know just for them and yeah it started from the british wrestling and then i kind of obviously with the uh emergence sort of getting onto twitter and um, started doing the wwe stuff and yeah just sort of trying to get a bit of exposure the wwe stuff probably was more for a selfish reason in the sense of trying to get a bit of exposure through uh, those guys if they retweeted yeah. or liked it or you know quoted it and if, have you had much of a response from any of the wrestlers that you featured in any of your uh, pieces of artwork? Have you have you had any retweets or any comments from anybody that you featured in any of your pieces? Yeah, I mean, back in the day when it first started, uh, it was a Kurt Angle piece that I did, which was sort of launched. I think my Twitter was, uh, had about 10 followers uh, and then he retweeted a piece. And I think I went up to about 200 in the space of a night. So that's when I kind of clotted on to the fact of this might be <laughs> yeah. a good way to go forward. But probably the, yeah, the best comment I got was, um, I did uh, an Edge versus Finn Balor t-shirt design for yeah. a subscription box. And uh, yeah, without any prompting or anything like that, uh, Edge randomly posted it on his Instagram, the picture. Um, I commented on it saying, you know, thanks for, you know, I, I did this. Thanks for, you know, the shout out. And then five seconds later, he'd edited the post and tagged me in it and actually acknowledged really? myself in the post. And uh, yeah, we had a bit of a backwards and forwards in the comments and yeah, it was just that's probably the highlight. It's just the suddenness that you know Edge did that without any prompting or anything, and it just kind of goes to show, uh, as any wrestling fans kind of know, is that he's a he's a genuine stand-up kind of guy. I think he always comes across as a very likable guy. Yeah, and to be acknowledged by two of the best, really, Kurt Angle and Edge, with your artwork, shows that you're doing something pretty good. Um, and uh, we've also posted on the Facebook page a piece you did around AEW, which I absolutely loved as well. And uh, I've seen glimpses of uh, something in connection with NWA or NWA Power. So uh, what what pieces of artwork are you working on at the moment and uh, kind of any plans to do anything different in the future? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm working on the NWA Power piece at the minute um that's sort of i'm hoping to get that sort of done and dusted before into the fire uh it's, it's shown just so i can try yeah. and sort of jump on uh that excitement exactly um, but yeah, nwa is one of those shows as well if it helps sort of get people if people aren't aware of it it's one of those shows that maybe that seems to be a bit of a hidden gem if you like if you know about it you like it um yeah. but not a lot of people that i speak to have even heard of it so it's a case of like you know, yeah check it out um bit free publicity from kind of thing yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned uh, a few different different groups there. You're obviously into WWE, your NWA, and your AEW. What, what's your kind of bread and butter? What's your go-to wrestling content on a week-to-week basis? What do you kind of have to kind of set a bit of time aside to watch every single week then, Nick? 
I think that's pretty much uh, as what we've sort of said. I don't bother with sort of Raw and SmackDown uh, much anymore. I just tend to go and read the uh, results on Bleacher. Uh, yeah. But actual to, to watch, it's NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW, Dark, and NWA Power. That's my sort of bread and butter on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and I think you've got about five or six hours worth of content listed there. So that's that's pretty much uh, enough uh, wrestling content for any wrestling fan, to be honest with you. Like I say, if you do throw in a Raw and a SmackDown, you're talking 10 plus hours. And that's uh, that, you, you need to have a little bit of a life outside of wrestling occasionally, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I oh, yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So uh, what I want to do for our listeners uh, before we start talking AEW and NXT then, Nick, is I want to want to talk uh, just for our schedule of podcasts that we've got lined up over the next two to three weeks because it's a, a fairly busy schedule. I know a lot of podcasters are winding down for the holiday season, uh, for Christmas and New Year, but we're going to keep uh, keep consistent and keep the episodes going out. So obviously, we've got this episode uh, with Nick Towers. Uh, on Tuesday, I'm going to be joined by Jason Lee Wood. And Jason's going to be coming on board to help us cover WWTLC. Uh, myself and Nick are going to be previewing that a little bit later on. But uh, Jason and I will be covering that on a, a special episode that we drop on Tuesday. So that'll be our TLC review show. Uh, next Saturday, so that's Saturday the 21st of December, Will uh, kind of be our our last our last wrestling with Jonas uh, podcast of the year, besides one which I mentioned very very soon. But next Saturday, the twenty first of December, will be our very special end of year awards show, where I'll be joined by by Dits from uh, Dits on Wrestling, uh, another kind of uh, very popular and excellent podcaster that's got uh, a lot of visibility, a lot of popularity on on uh, Twitter, of course, a lot of uh, activity there for Dits, and he's going to be joining in as a special co-host for our end of year awards uh so if you haven't uh, voted for the end of year awards i will post the link to the the survey or, or where you can actually put your nominations down for the various categories um in the description to this podcast and uh, i believe that they're also pinned to the top of my twitter and facebook pages so go and check them out also uh, on the 26th of December, it will be our official last podcast of the year, 2019. Uh, where on the 26th on Boxing Day, we'll be, we'll be dropping our special interview with uh, a Coastal Championship Wrestling Superstar Cha Cha Charlie. Now, I interviewed uh, Cha Cha Charlie a couple of days ago. It's an exit interview. Uh, just putting the, the, the finishing touches to that interview before that drops on Boxing Day. So go out and check that out. If you're a fan of, um, if you're a fan of Cha Cha Charlie or uh, any kind of independent wrestling around the Florida area, Coastal championship wrestling particularly you really want to check that one out that's our special christmas week episode and then just into the new year we've got a big interview with uh, big effing joe uh, very very popular indie star wrestlers all over the uk recently featured in a czw uh, deathmatch tournament over in the states that's gonna be really fun to have him on i know that he's had a couple of encounters with paul robinson in fact i think he's got an encounter with paul robinson uh, for dna wrestling tonight so best of luck to big effing joe there we'll be talking all about that on the 2nd of january and then on the 5th of january we've got to back-to-back episodes all recording two episodes that day to cover new japan wrestle kingdom 14 uh, so i'll be joined by kurt johansson to cover day one and then i'll be joined by uh, grizz who's currently top of the leaderboard in the uh, brain buster quiz grizz will be joining us to cover day two of wrestle kingdom 14 and both of them two episodes will be dropping on the 5th of january so good three or four episodes there to look forward to uh, but let's get stuck into to this one here with nick uh, so uh nick uh, this week's nxt 
Um, it was a really good show. Uh, they, they're always pretty solid. Um, I know that they, they, they've always been a big favourite of mine, especially when they were a, a one-hour show. But uh, I say this to all of the guests, since they've gone to two hours, they really seem to have stepped it up quite a bit, to be honest with you. So where we're expecting the content to be a bit more diluted, maybe, or for there to be, uh, you know, maybe the Vincent Mann influence. We seem to have had completely the opposite. The, the matches seem to have really stepped up even more, um, if that was at all possible. The storylines are still there. And you get getting even more characters and even more wrestlers featured in this two hours. And like I say, I think it's gone from a, you know, a, a nine out of 10 to a 10 out of 10 most weeks now uh, since it's gone to two hours. But what's your kind of overall thoughts on, on NXT? You're obviously a big fan like I am. Um, and, and your overall thoughts on the content since it's gone to two hours, Nick. Yeah, I sort of say I agree. Um, probably every other week it sounds, it, it feels like a mini takeover. I mean, especially it really does. Yeah. Next week, you've got the two sort of main titles uh, up for potentially, obviously, what I've got a feeling, you know, one of them will change. Uh, but yeah, there's there's any concerns. I was probably one of the people that thought as soon as it went to a network, it's like, oh, crap, you know, Vince is going to get involved here. Uh, he's going to start messing stuff up. He's going to start getting some Michael Cole is Adam Cole's dad storyline or something like that. <laughs> and, um, yeah. but, no, it's, yeah, you know, I think uh, Trips has kind of kept a tight rein on it. Um, he's been left to his own devices, um, and it's it shows it's just getting better and better. Um, the only problem is, is the like when it was on the network, they were able to have a few development matches, um, and it not be a big deal. But now it's you know, now it's on TV. Uh, I think Wednesday's gone, there was one match on that show which would have been fine on the network, but on TV, it's a bit, it's, you know, it's gonna be a bit of a risky move. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, they probably would have uh, shown a few more of the um, yeah, uh, kind of lower uh, rung talents uh, in the one hour show. But now they're really kind of pumping out the, the bigger names on the brand, which is fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I understand your sentiments there entirely. But um, then that's a bit of a challenge for those kind of on the, the lower end of the of the of the. Uh, uh, roster NXT roster to uh, try a bit harder work a bit harder and hopefully get on that two hour show and there's been a few people that I've been surprised to see on there we've had uh, quite a lot of uh, Zia Lee now I know that she wasn't heavily featured on the one hour show but she's been in quite a few matches since it's gone to two hours uh, so uh, one of the two are kind of um, making a bit of a name for himself, whereas before maybe they they weren't as exposed. So I suppose there's swings and roundabouts. But let's have a little look at this week's show then. So the opening of this week's show uh, promoted uh, the massive match happening in the main event of this week's show, which is going to be a, a triple threat match between Tomasa Champa, Keith Lee and Finn Balor uh, battling out. Uh, with the, It's in a morning contenders match, essentially. And the winner going on to face NXT champion Adam Cole on uh, next week's huge edition of NXT that you alluded to earlier on and that's going to be on next week but we'll talk more about that triple threat match a little bit later on but this week's NXT really kicked off with a, with a barn burner with an absolute banger to be honest with you Leo Rush putting his NXT Cruiserweight Championship on the line against a crowd favourite, you could say, in Angel Garza. Now, this was a really hot way to kick off the show, and there was uh, some bad blood between these two even before the bell rang, and I think uh, Leo Rush even uh, got stuck into Garza before the bell sounded. Uh, the fans were super hot for this one. Uh, Garza even pulled Leo Rush off the ring apron with Rush landing face-first quite hard onto the ring apron, and Oops. that looked pretty painful. Uh, Leo then connected with, with a moonsault. Now, he, he springboarded himself from inside the ring to to the outside onto Gaza uh, and down onto the floor. 
Uh, Rush goes uh, to the top rope, but he's, he's nailed with a step up into Guri, setting up Gaza perfectly to deliver an awesome avalanche Spanish fly for a very, very close near fall. And that was greeted with a holy shit chance from the fans. Uh, then Rush delivers he, uh, Angel Gaza's very own finishing move, the wing clipper, and gets a, a two count for his troubles there. Leo finally manages to deliver his final hour frog splash, but Gaza was uh, had presence of mind enough to roll out of the ring before Leo Rush could make the cover. Then the fans absolutely lose their mind as Rush attempts a second final hour from the top uh, of the turnbuckle to the outside. But Gaza manages to bring up his knees. He rolls Leo Rush back inside the ring, uh, delivers his wing clipper finisher. Everyone thinks that the ref is going to count to the three, but Rush somehow manages to kick out on two and three quarters. Gaza, with the two of them kind of still in the seated position, having executed the wing clipper, Gaza very cleverly um, slaps on a full Nelson onto Rush. The referee calls to the bell within a few seconds as Rush fails to respond and Gaza wins the match through submission thanks to the full Nelson and becomes the new NXT Cruiserweight Champion. So that, in my opinion, is how to open a wrestling show. Both wrestlers had the fans on their feet for this one. This was a super hot match and we have a new Cruiserweight Champion in Angel Gaza. But credit to Leo Rush. I'd say he was only a champion for maybe a couple of months after taking the belt off of Drew Gulak. He made a pretty good champion while he had it. Uh, but uh, a, a brilliant match. Um, a great way to kick off NXT. Nick, give us your thoughts on this one, buddy. Uh, yeah, no, this was an absolutely amazing match. Uh, it's the old sort of analogy of if you're not in the main event, go out first, set the bar and absolutely just smash it. Uh, this match is, I mean, we'll, I've mentioned it sort of later on when we talk about the main event, but I can't actually decide whether you know, this match was better or the main event was better. That's how good this match was when you look at the calibre of people that were in the main event. Uh, Rush and Angel, just the story involved, the emotion, uh, absolutely nailed it. I just couldn't sort of, you know, wish for anything more from that match. Yeah, definitely. And then after the match, uh, we get um, we get a bit of an emotional moment where we see Angel Garza uh, bringing his girlfriend into the ring and proposing to his girlfriend in the centre of the ring uh, to uh, lots of CCC chants from the fans. Obviously, that's uh, uh, yes in Spanish. And uh, she did say C. She did say yes. And uh, that was a good moment. They managed to catch on uh, on camera. And uh, yeah, so not only did Angel Garza uh, win a championship bout on Wednesday night, but he also uh, managed to uh, get a get a yes answer from his from his girlfriends uh, when he proposed to her. So a really special moment there. Going into match number two, then we had uh, Raul Mendoza versus Cameron Grimes. Now. Prior to this match, uh, we see highlights of Cameron Grimes attacking Mendoza on the rampway ahead of Mendoza's scheduled match against the returning Kushida uh, on last week's show. Um, as we saw, the match got switched at the last second with Kushida defeating Cameron Grimes. Uh, then we saw footage of Cameron Grimes attacking Kushida at the WWPC, uh, the Performance Center, uh, last week. So Mendoza uh, goes on the offense to begin this match, nailing a springboard tornado dive onto Grimes on the outside. And just as Grimes starts to get the upper hand, we see Kushida, he comes out to distract Cameron Grimes, allowing Mendoza to drop Grimes with a Hurricane Rana and a surprise pinfall victory. So after the match, Kushida takes a liking to Cameron Grimes' trademark hat, taking it backstage to no doubt add it to his uh, his own collection of uh, fine hats, I'm sure, and to add to the heat between himself and Cameron Grimes. So that storyline continues. 
Uh, so a bit of a surprise in Mendoza getting the win here, uh, but it kind of plays along to the, the storyline they've been telling so far, Nick, uh, between Kashida and Cameron Grimes. And uh, Grimes lost last week on NXT. He's lost again. It looks like he had a really good run for the first few weeks on NXT, kind of winning back-to-back matches. Um, but uh, yeah, he's on a bit of a losing streak now, and uh, the, the, the feud between him and Kashida seems to be hotting up somewhat. Yeah, I'm big fan of Grimes. Liked him in TNA when he had Helmsley as manager. Uh, obviously, you know they're the guys that trained him. Uh, it's the the problem with Grimes have got now is this is just as you said, he's lost the last two matches. He's probably one of the fresher talents that they're showing on NXT. Um, and I would obviously hazard a guess that he's going to end up eventually losing the feud with Kashida because well, it's Kashida. Um, you know this guy's a potential. Uh, title holder within a few months time um they've got to sort of not sacrifice grimes for the sake of that keep him because he, he he could be some a breakout star within the next 12 months they've mm. just got to make sure you know they don't taint him too much yeah and uh, as everybody knows uh, anybody that's listens to his podcast uh, we're big fans of uh, cameron grimes on his podcast and uh, like so hopefully it's not kind of the, the start of a slippery slope where he loses more matches or potentially loses the feud to Kashida. but i'm looking forward to when they do finally meet i wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of in a, an upcoming episode of nxt it's not been advertised yet uh, for next week's show or, or have you heard when that match might be taking place nick not myself, but I'll probably hazard a guess. Obviously, we've got all the stuff next week. Yeah, uh, might get a spot next week uh, just to continue the story. Uh, I'd probably say within about the four week mark. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be a main event on one of the NXTs oh, or yeah. the opening match on NXT. If if they can use that to set the bar for the rest of the episode, I think those two could go out and do a Russian Angel and just actually you know get the fans excited for the following two hours. No, you're absolutely spot on there, Nick. I think if you're not going to close the show, it's definitely important to open the show. And I think these two are going to have a really show-stealing match when they do finally get in the ring. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. Uh, And then we got... um uh, a wrestler on NXT that I wasn't expecting to see this week. We saw that the Kiwi buzzsaw, Travis Banks, go up, go up against, well, I suppose you could say two wrestlers that we weren't expecting to see wrestle on this week's NXT because he was going up against Jackson Riker. Now, usually Jackson Riker, he's kind of the, uh, uh, the, the muscle, the third guy to the Forgotten Sons. I, I can't remember. I think he might have been in a battle royal or maybe one, maybe two singles matches in the last year or so. But he's usually the henchman kind of on the outside for uh, for Blake and Cutler. Here, he's in a singles match going up against uh, Travis Banks. Now, Travis Banks is a, is a bit of a mainstay on NXT UK. We've not seen him on NXT before. I certainly can't remember seeing him on the black and gold brand. So it's interesting to see this dynamic between two wrestlers we haven't really seen much of on this TV show. But uh, this was a really fun match. uh, And it was great to see a fresh face in the shape of Travis Banks, as I said, on the black and gold brand. And uh, pulling off somewhat of a shock against uh, Jackson Riker. And uh, he he got the pinfall victory after his uh, slice of heaven um, finishing move, despite suffering quite a nasty cut above his uh, left eye early in the match. So um, give us your thoughts on this one then. Two quite interesting wrestlers that we've not seen a lot of on this brand anyway. We've seen a fair bit of Banks on NXT UK, but uh, what's your impression of Jackson Ryker? I mean, he certainly looks the part. He looks like the type of wrestler that a Vince McMahon might get behind and try and push to the moon. But uh, um, I don't think he's, he's uh, an established technical wrestler that we might be used to seeing on NXT but uh, this was quite an interesting match and a bit of a surprising ending as well I wasn't expecting Banks to take the pinfall if I'm honest with you but what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I think it was a good prelude to Worlds Collide it was yeah. obviously giving Banks 
a bit of um, just to get the fans, you know, just to get them show a bit of interest. If these UK guys can turn up and get a couple of victories over NXT, uh, it puts more at stake for Will to collide. It obviously heightens the the wow factor. Hopefully, um, Riker is great uh, again. Somebody else who uh, I was a fan of back in the day when I used to watch TNA. Um, and he's just his quality. He's good at what he does. Um, he's he is well suited to the henchman role. But when he does need to have a match, you know the guy can the guy can deliver. Um, you put Banks in there as well, and it was always going to be a, a good solid match. I think Banks is you know is an immense, is a great talent. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it, it is a bit of a prelude to the Worlds Collide show, which is replacing TakeOver uh, prior to Royal Rumble um, at the back end of January. And uh, I think a lot of fans are slightly disappointed that we're not going to have a proper a TakeOver. It is a TakeOver of sorts, but it's going to be NXT talent versus NXT UK talent. So some potential dream matches there. I know a lot of people are talking about the, the possibility of having Imperium versus Undisputed Era, or maybe Adam Cole versus Walter. Um, and uh, like I say, you throw in some some UK talent there like Tyler Bates and Trent Seven. Maybe we can see uh, Pete Dunn on the card as well. So some some you know mouthwatering potential matches there when you factor in some of the UK talents and giving them an opportunity on a big stage over in the states. Uh, Royal Rumble weekend against the NXT talent. So that's going to be pretty good, pretty mouthwatering uh, um, kind of thoughts on what could happen there. But uh, the next match. That's one of the highlights of the night, as far as I'm concerned. And it was Mia Yim versus Dakota Kai. So this was a bit of a, gr- a grudge match of sorts stemming from when Dakota's... Uh, she, she attacked Mia Yim before TakeOver War Games, leading to Dakota Kai replacing uh, Mia Yim in the War Games match. Uh, and of course, we, you know, we, 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 she then attacked uh, Tegan Knox. So essentially eliminating herself or choosing not to be part of the match, but uh, essentially turning heel during that whole segment where she turned her back on former uh, best friend and team kick uh, stable mates, uh, Tegan Knox. Um, and, and I believe this heel turn for Dakota Kai has been a, a real step in the right direction, to be honest with you. I think that her babyface character was a little bit weak and uh, a little bit bland, to be honest with you. It was kind of a, a, another version of Bailey, to be honest with you, the, the happy-go-lucky Dakota Kai. But I think much like it did with, with Io Shirai, I think this heel turn for Dakota Kai has been uh, you know, kind of ready-made for her, really. It's been a, a perfect step in the right direction. Have you become more of a fan of Dakota Kai since the heel turn, Nick? Oh, tenfold. Uh, that was genuine um, during the war games. That was one of the moments where I just literally uh, jaw dropped when she turned. And the aftermath of that has been brilliant. I think she's become probably one of the, as much as I love the Ripley, Baser stuff, um, anything that with Dakota Kai in at the minute is just my go-to. Um, it's what I'm interested in on a week-to-week basis. Uh, seeing her obviously get through my yim. Uh, she gets through somebody else after that and you just wait in week in week out just for Tegan Knox to turn up just wait yeah. for her to come out through the audience um, and just absolutely crack her one it's yeah. just yeah that's that's the anticipation that's what this storyline's given you it's that anticipation yeah, I think they're playing this storyline to a T, to be honest with you, absolutely perfectly. I love the fact that Dakota Kai is is, is using Tegan Knox's leg brace as a little bit of a uh, kind of a memento and uh, a weapon. And um, that kind of really adds to her heel persona. But uh, the end of the match, and this very entertaining match, came after Miriam prevented uh, Dakota Kai from utilising the knee brace of uh, 
Tegan Knox, of course. However, Dakota did manage to pull away one of the turnbuckle pads before driving Miriam headfirst into the exposed turnbuckle, covering and then getting the one, two, three. But... The big talking point of, of these two happened after the match. So after the match, the action continued as, as the two, Miriam and uh, Dakota Kai, fought uh, around the ring and into the technical area uh, up on the stage where Miriam, uh, she back suplexed or Seotu suplexed Dakota Kai off the staging area and down onto a couple of tables, two tables set up down below. However, it appeared that the move didn't quite go to plan as both women only went through the first table with Dakota Kai's head hitting the second table pretty hard. Uh, and it's reported that Dakota Kai um, has had to have um, eight or nine staples in the back of her head to close a wound uh, post-match. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the match was good. The action was good. Uh, we got a win for Dakota Kai through nefarious means using the exposed turbuckle pad. But then the action afterwards, that brawl, and then the, the well, it, it looked a pretty dangerous spot, to be honest with you. That suplex off of the, the kind of stage area through the table, um, and then the, the kind of the clatter of Dakota Kai's head. Man, that looked like that looked like it hurt both both of the wrestlers, to be honest with you. It would have been a little bit nicer if they'd gone through both tables. But yeah, because they went through the first one, the back of Kai's head that was yeah that was just kind of very cringeworthy yeah I remember a similar spot when uh, the Shield were kind of fairly new in the WWE it might have been uh, TLC Oh, I think, yeah, TLC, there was the Shield, and I think it was Daniel Bryan Kane and Ryback in a triple threat main event TLC match, and and Seth Rollins came off the top of a ladder. Um, I think Ryback, he would have chokeslammed or pushed him off the top of the ladder, and Seth Rollins was meant to go through two tables, and he only went through one and clattered his head against the second table, so a similar injury there, and at the end of TLC, you could see uh, Ambrose and uh, Roman Reigns kind of uh, holding a very groggy Seth Rollins, but uh, yeah, this this match was, was uh, brought back memories of that, and uh, yeah, but Dakota Kai, she's been very public in saying she's not taking any time off um, and she's going to kind of wrestle at the first opportunity, uh, which is good as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and then we get a match between Breeze Ango and the Singh brothers or the Bollywood boys, whatever you want to call them. To be honest, I enjoyed this match way more than I thought I was going to. Uh, there, there were some nice double team moves from uh, from Breezango and and uh, from Fandango and Breeze, of course. There was one spot where Fandango dropped one of the Singh brothers with a brutal power bomb across the edge of the ring apron. Now that looks pretty vicious. I, I winced when I saw that one. Uh, and despite appearing to injure himself off of a flying elbow onto one of the Singh brothers on the outside, Fandango did put the match away uh, with a top rope leg drop for the pinfall victory. Now after the match, I think there was a couple of uh, injury. There was an injury report that came out after this episode of NXT. And of course, Dakota Kai was on that injury report, but Fandango is on that injury report as well. And apparently he's, he's injured his wrist. Um, off of the, uh, the the elbow from the top turnbuckle to the outside um, or, and uh, possible fracture to his wrist. So we're waiting to see what happened there. But uh, as I said in my opening line, I, I enjoyed this match way more than I thought I was going to. But what about yourself, Nick? Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, when I saw the match starting, I was like, OK, it's going to be a squash match. You know, they just sent the same brothers out there just to uh, get demolished within a few minutes kind of thing because um, they've always kind of been, just been seen as the, the sidekicks obviously for Mahal mm -hmm. uh, but no it was, a, it was a ridiculously entertaining match it was more than expected they held the road it actually became a very, a very good back and forth match um, I love Breeze Dango but I was I'm slightly disappointed with the, the fact that they're still together when Breeze came back down to uh, NXT I was generally pumped to see Prince Pretty uh, by himself again 
Um, so hopefully in the future you'll get a solo run. But as a tag team, they yeah they're entertaining. Um, yeah. And who doesn't love a sexy nurse at the start? Yeah, and I, I think it's well. There we go. That always helps, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's testament to, and we've alluded to this. It's testament to the fact that when main roster talent go back to NXT, you know they, they wrestle with a lot more freedom. The kind of the handcuffs are off. They're able to go out and, and perform a good wrestling match and tell a good story without the restrictions of you know reams and reams of I don't know promo lines they need to remember or very scripted matches or you know two minute segments. Um, and they can go out there and have a proper wrestling match. And we even got a proper a decent wrestling match from the Singh brothers. Now I know they they're kind of veterans of the Squared Circle. They've been wrestling um, for well over ten years now, I believe, because they they started wrestling in uh, I think Toronto, Canada, many many years before we saw them on a WWE TV. So they're experienced wrestlers, and we know how good uh, Fandango. And uh, I mean, they, they mentioned during this um, uh, NXT this week that Fandango is a 20-year veteran, so he's been wrestling yeah. for 20 years. I mean, I thought, well, I mean, first of all, he doesn't look like he's been wrestling. He doesn't look old enough to to have been wrestling for 20 years. But I remember seeing him um, when kind of NXT was kind of the, the the weekly TV show before it kind of went to what it is now I suppose and uh, I know he was Johnny Curtis back then and uh, um, before he got transformed into into Fandango that we know nowadays and of course he beat Chris Jericho at one of the Wrestlemanias but uh, so I mean he's been in WWE for 10 years plus he's probably in developmental probably in the late 2000s or maybe early 2010s and, uh, you know, before that, he was obviously uh, scratching and clawing on the independence before he got noticed. So, yeah, 20 years, that would make sense, I suppose. But he doesn't look like he doesn't look old enough to be a 20 year vet. But uh, there we go. But, yeah, testament to the fact that when he was like 16 or something. Oh, exactly. Must have started early. I I think he must be in his mid 30s, most definitely. But, uh, yeah, like I say, testament to the fact that when they go back to NXT, they can wrestle with a lot more freedom. And that definitely, I'm not going to kind of um, uh, judge a book by its cover any any further uh, when I see wrestlers like this because I know they're going to go out and absolutely smash it. And they smashed it on this occasion. and then we saw a fairly competitive match between Bianca Belair and Caden Carter uh, with Belair ending the match in a fairly strong fashion. Firstly, with a devastating spear and then following it up with a KOD finisher for the one, two, three. Then ahead of um, uh, this week's main event, we had an appearance from current NXT champion Adam Cole. And of course, Adam Cole uh, came out uh, and he'll be defending his championship against the winner of this triple threat number one contenders match, which is, of course, uh, between Keith Lee, Tommaso Ciampa and the, the Prince Finn Balor. So um, uh, Adam Cole kind of looked on from some gantry area. Uh, and th- this match was 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 excellent. I know you said earlier that it's tough to call which was the better match on this week's NXT. Was it the opener between uh, Leo Rush and Angel Garza? Or was it this triple threat? Uh, but uh, Keith Lee was the first to strike uh, in this match, slingshotting himself all 320 30 40 pounds however big the guy is his weight seems to go up every single week but he's just as agile every time you see him he slingshots himself um into the ring with a double cross body onto both Balor and uh, champa there's one spot in this match where champa had Balor up for an air raid crash uh, from the top turnbuckle when uh, lee came along and hoisted both of his opponents up onto his shoulders in like an electric chair and uh yeah dropped both of them so Champa still had Balor up in the air raid crash and uh, they both suffered uh, from uh, from Keith Lee's uh, bad landing there. Balor soon con- takes control, drop kicking Champa into the barriers at ringside, but misses a coupe de gras on Lee. Then Champa almost has the match won with a huge air raid crash on uh, on Lee for a close near fall. 
Keith Lee then gets a close near fall from a, a second rope moonsault. Always impressive when the big man does that. Uh, but after Keith Lee delivers his uh, huge spirit bomb on Champa, Finn Balor comes out of nowhere. He wastes no time at all in nailing Keith Lee while he still sat down from his uh, from his spirit bomb with a with a second coup de gras. This time Finn Balor nails it perfectly. His coup de gras double foot stomp hooks the leg of Keith Lee, gets the pinfall victory um, against the big man uh, to become the new number one contender to Adam Cole's champion. So post-match, we get a rather jubilant uh, Finn Balor pulling the double gun salute on Adam Cole as the rest of the Undisputed Era come out to support Adam Cole on the rampway as the show goes off the air. So like I say, it's a tough one to call which was the better match. But uh, personally, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. Um, it's probably the, yeah, the second best match of the night as far as I'm concerned. I don't think anybody uh, could, you know, they, they set the bar high with that opener. But this was a brilliant match between all three. I'm loving the hell out of Keith Lee at the minute. He had a fantastic November. Um, he's he's having just as good a December, to be honest with you. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think if he's not challenging for at least the NXT Championship in the next uh, couple of months, then I'll be very, very surprised. But uh, amazing to see uh, t- t- uh, Tomas, uh, Finn Balor pull out the win here. Um, and uh, good to see Finn Balor kind of back on top form and uh, pulling the double gun salute. So he's going to be taking on Adam Cole on next week's, uh, next week's NXT. So give us your thoughts on this main event then, buddy. Uh, yeah, mate. Like you said, it's uh, it was. If it wasn't for that opening match, this would have been easily the, the match of the night. Um, I think the good thing about it was as well is potentially any three of those guys could have won because uh, yeah. logically any of them can go for the title. So it was. Uh, I think they've done the right thing by having Belor in. Uh, I think he's the right choice to go up against Cole first of all. Um, potentially, I sort of see him lose. Um, ready for the Johnny Gargano feud. Uh, but all three of these guys are just off the chart. Um, Chompers, just a legend, uh, a living legend now within NXT. Keith Lee's not quite ready for the title. I might get some stick for that, uh, but I can see him getting it within six months. He'll get a title shot, I think, within a couple of months. Um, but yeah, Keith Lee's obviously on a wave at the minute. The fans are behind him. It depends whether they you know, want to ride that out and put the belt on him now whilst he's hot uh but yeah the match was everything you thought it was going to be you got these three guys in the ring it was never going to be a bad match and it was nice to see finn um back to his best i'd say since he's been back he's not the match with riddle was all right but it wasn't as good i think as expected uh so it was nice to see the old finn back in this one and i think he's definitely he's not lost it yeah, definitely not. Well, in fact, he, he's kind of found whatever he had lost on the main roster because he, he seems to be rejuvenated, revitalised, re-energised, call it what you will, but Finn Balor. Um, kind of that we remember from when he first joined NXT, but certainly his New Japan days um, as a Prince Devitt. He's definitely, definitely back. And uh, But, you know, this was another awesome hours, uh, two hours of NXT that incredible oh, open between Angel Gaza. I mean, like I say, I think that's my match of the night, uh, in my opinion. Um, and Angel Gaza becoming the new champion, um, defeating Leo Rush, of course. I love the match between Mia Yim and Dakota Kai, and, and that suplex um, going through the tables and, and that Dakota Kai clattering ahead was just absolutely brutal. The main event triple threat match was also brilliant. But uh, I, I, more than anything, I love how Finn Balor just seems to uh, be refreshed and revitalised again. And uh, like I say, we've got some. Finn Balor wrestling with some freedom 
that he wasn't getting on uh, the main roster, unfortunately, and uh, probably sound like a bit of a, a, a broken record because I say that most weeks. But uh, yeah, he's he's come back and he's looking good. But uh, what were your kind of highlights for this week? Go ahead. He needs to change his entrance music. That's yeah, nice. we need to be all music. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think because his entrance music was so kind of fu- uh, fan interactive, you could say, with the raising of the arms, it, you know, and they do kind of switch it up sometimes when somebody turns heel and, and makes it a bit more darker, uh, a bit more menacing music. And yeah, maybe I think with a different character, you're quite right. I think you need different music. So maybe that's just the, the final piece of the puzzle that they need to complete there with Finn Balor. But uh, what were the highlights of uh, this week's NXT for you then, buddy? Uh, that that first match was just I think that was definitely the out and out highlight. Um, I think the the most enjoyable moment was not any of the matches for me. Um, I got a slightly warm fuzzy feeling just seeing Kushida wearing Grimes's hat. Um, if I ever get to experience any kind of happiness as as happy as Kushida looks when he had that hat on, <laughs> that's that's my new life goal. That's been living my best life. As just yeah. yeah, Kushida wearing Grimes's hat. That was my highlight. I think that's just picture perfect christmas came early for kashida uh in, yeah, in exactly. the form of cameron grimes's hands but uh, speaking of unshackled uh let's talk a little bit about AEW dynamite because they're always unshackled and uh, uh another top-notch episode of dynamite week 11 of AEW dynamite so this week's AEW uh starts with the man of the moment john moxley to open the show with it with a match against uh i don't think they actually introduced who his opponent was so i didn't catch his <laughs> name to be honest with you uh but it didn't matter I mean, I mean, uh, because yeah, because Moxley kind of put the match to bed uh, with, with a running knee and a paradigm shift. It took two moves and 30 seconds for uh, John Moxley to put the, the match away. Or however long it was, they described it as the quickest match in uh, AEW in, uh, history. So it may have been uh, a lot quicker than that. However, Moxley's celebration was was cut short with the appearance of the Inner Circle with their leader, uh, Le Champion, Chris Jericho, of course. Uh, Jericho cautiously stepped into the ring with a microphone in hand. And uh, Jericho, he praises Moxley on his run so far in AEW. Jericho tells uh, Moxley uh, how, how Moxley came to him asking him for advice 10 years earlier wanting to know what he needed to do to get over. Uh, obviously they're referring to their time together in WWE and this would have been before uh, Dean Ambrose was part of the Shield and, and uh, for such a long time Dean Ambrose was in developmental for FCW um, and then NXT very briefly before coming onto the main roster as uh, the Dean Ambrose we'd know from the Shield of course Jericho tells uh, how they became um, adversaries and that they would beat the living shit out of one another, as uh, Jericho described, uh, and how uh, Jericho taught Moxley how to be a top superstar, and how Jericho brought him into AEW when Mox uh, left the WWE in uh, spring of this year. Jericho continued to compliment Mox and tells him that uh, he needs to be part of the inner circle. Jericho offers uh, Moxley a chance to join the inner circle and tells him that he can take some time to think about it and enjoy the holidays. And when he's ready to give them an answer, they will be waiting. So Jericho reveals an inner circle T-shirt which he drapes over John Moxley's shoulder and slowly walks away as uh, uh, Mox kind of stands there reflecting on what just happened, just mulling over the moment um, and uh, contemplating uh, the possibility of maybe joining 
the inner circle. Um, but uh, this was, uh, I'd say, a neat way to open up. I know that uh, John Moxley and Chris Jericho are definitely ratings winners, and uh, I'm sure everybody's eyes were glued to this segment. And uh, quite an, a lot of people might have been expecting John Moxley to attack Chris Jericho. I think that the long-term booking is obviously for these two face to face for the AW World Championship. But at the moment, the storyline is kind of quite a, uh, an intriguing one. Um, and uh, I wasn't expecting to go this route, to be honest with you, with um, uh, Chris Jericho trying to get on the good side of John Moxley and possibly trying to recruit him into the inner circle. But uh, what were your thoughts on what we witnessed in this opening segment of AW on Wednesday? Um, loved it. It's money. As you sort of said, Moxley and Jericho are um, probably the two biggest recognisable names uh, in AEW. Um, and I think AEW benefits from having, obviously, I think is February is the next pay-per-view revolution. Yeah, the um, 29th. So it's, uh, it's uh, the leap year day, the 29th of Feb. Yeah. But I think we're going to have, um, you know, it's going to be a nice sort of two month build up. We've got that benefit because there's not a pay-per-view every month. You can take it gradually. You can build it up. It's like old school storytelling. Um, and it just, Moxley and Jericho, will, you know, they've got the skills to do this. Uh, Moxley's probably um, waiting on Jericho to ask for, you know, the money for the jacket again. But it's, yeah, I, I loved it. I think you get these two guys in the ring together. Like I said, it was a, a change of dynamic after the last two weeks with the staring each other down. You kind of thought when they did come face to face, it would just end up in a in a brawl. Uh, but the fact that they're starting the story like this obviously gives it more scope for. You know, the week's coming where they can build up on it. Yeah, they're definitely doing the right thing by giving it a bit of a slow burn, building the storyline. They know what they've got in the shape of John Moxley and uh, Chris Jericho. They know what they've got. They, they know they've got two of the, the, the best workers in the business in terms of character work, in terms of in-ring experience. They know what they've got. Um, I think above and beyond maybe Cody and Kenny Omega, these are the, the two best acquisitions that AEW have made. Let them do their thing in the ring. Let them, you know, use their experience to tell a story. And it's really, really paying off and it's really showing. And certainly this segment, it kind of showed all their experience coming out and telling that story. I loved how they kind of harked back or Chris Jericho harked back to their WWE days. They didn't mention the company by name, but it was obvious that they were kind of that he was referring to. Uh, the Dean Ambrose character when they did feud Chris Jericho versus Dean Ambrose a few years ago now I think it's about 2015 2016 um, and there was a potted plant involved and there was a horrible Ambrose Asylum match which you may remember but so they do have some history and obviously um, Chris Jericho is taking credit for kind of guiding him when he first started with WWE 10 years ago and giving him some, uh, some some influential advice that kind of helped him become a superstar and then ultimately bringing him into AEW. Of course, the two of them uh, know each other very well from Jericho's podcast as well. And uh, yeah, so I, I love the story they're telling. You can really tell that the experience of these two just oozing out. And yeah, it was a bit of an unexpected segment, but uh, John Moxley standing there at the end of the segment with a T-shirt draped over his shoulder uh, is telling a great story and kind of, 
it's, it's one that we're all kind of going to be wondering what's going to be happening next and one of them kind of hooks that's going to get us to watch uh, week in, week out. But uh, we probably won't get to see the, the kind of, uh, you know, the, the two of them have any sort of fisticuffs for a few weeks. I think they're going to let it kind of uh, build and build. And I'm sure that this will be the main event at their, uh, their February pay-per-view. But uh, loved the hell out of this opening segment, definitely. But uh, any final thoughts on this, this opening segment before we move on, Nick? Like I say, it's just, I think what you'll find is all throughout January, they'll just tease it. There won't actually be any physicality all the way through January. It might yeah. even be that box, you know, goes double agent and sort of winds Jericho up by pretending to accept, the, you know, the inner circle invite to just then eventually do like a, a Daniel Bryan to, you know, Bray Wyatt years ago. Yeah. When it, yeah. you know, that turn. Um, I think the first show in February will be, you know, the kickoff for the physicality of it all. Uh, so we get a teaser for a few weeks before the pay-per-view. But I'd, uh, yeah, I'd like to keep no no physical action throughout January. Tell a story. Have them, they've got the skills to keep us entertained via promos and stuff like that that don't need to lay hands on each other until probably a few weeks before the pay-per-view. Yeah, totally agree. And I think uh, many wrestling angles have been blown off too quickly uh, by the two individuals getting physical after maybe a week's build or two weeks build. And that's typical of what the WWE would do. But uh, they're doing things slightly differently in AEW. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving what they're doing here. And then we go into the first match on AEW Dynamite. And it was the Butcher and the Blade versus Cody and QT Marshall. So now from what I understand, QT was a partner chosen by Cody's arch enemy at the moment, MJF, uh, with MJF thinking that QT Marshall would be the weak link in the team, uh, giving Cody an automatic disadvantage. Um, but the, the two heels, the, the Butcher and the Blade, go on a bit of a tear against uh, the lesser QT. Uh, but the fans get behind and start rallying behind QT as the match progresses. Uh, Cody gets a close near fall from a moonsault on the blade. Cody then displays some impressive agility that used to some agility from Cody, but he's obviously uh, experimenting a bit here. And he, he executed a springboard cutter uh, from the from the top turnbuckle, from the top rope uh, for a close near fall. So that was pretty neat. Um, QT gets tagged back in. He hits a handspring corkscrew plancher uh, before uh, nearly winning the match with a senton off the top turnbuckle. Cody then gets taken out of the match uh, with uh, uh, he gets slammed onto the, the ring apron, allowing the butcher of the blade to destroy the spirited QT Marshall with a, a suplex backstabber combo for the win. And after the match, uh, Darby Allen comes down, uh, it comes charging down to the ring to help Cody to his feet. So probably similar to. Um, one of the other matches I mentioned earlier, uh, Breezango versus Breezango uh, 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 versus um, the, the Singh brothers. This was this was a match that was far more entertaining than I thought it was going to be um, at the very beginning. Probably far more entertaining than it deserved to be. Uh, they told a good story, which is something that AEW have kind of fallen a little bit uh, shy on in some of their matches. Uh, but they told a good story. There was some good action. Uh, they've potentially established a, another star in QT Marshall because the fans really got behind him. And uh, uh, it's the first match that I can recall on AEW from the Butcher and the Blade. So they've certainly established themselves in this match as well. So quite an interesting match, quite a few talking points coming out of this one. And then Darby Allen coming down kind of at the end to help Cody to his feet. What, what was that all about? Is he aligning himself with Cody? Uh, but so what were your thoughts on what went down during this whole match? Yeah, uh, it was a perfect story match. Um, it was it was the a match all about that hot tag um, you know, he put QT in, Q, QT in there uh, to fail, basically. And it was about him, you know, taking the hits, taking the bumps, building up the anticipation, getting the crowd 
worked up off that hot tag as soon as he tagged Cody in. That's it. You know, the roof went off. Uh, it was... Yeah, it was a weird match because, like you sort of said, um, I wasn't expecting that much from it because I don't know that much about the Butch and the Blade. Um, and obviously QT was put in there as a lesser element. It was to put the spotlight on Cody. Uh, but yeah, the match was great. Um, the fact that the fans were cheering for QT by the end of the match just tells you how well it was done. The fact that they were able to get behind this guy or wanted to get behind this guy. And yeah, as yeah. you said, it was it was a story match in a tag match. It wasn't just your stereotypical AEW tag match, which is wrestle, 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 six minutes in, like shit hits the fan. Everybody's yeah. in, the, in the ring kind of thing. This was a really well-structured tag match uh, and it served a purpose. And plus, you know, you've got Darby Allen, which is always a, you know, a plus is, yeah, anytime you see him on the screen, if it leads to a future storyline for him, for it. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, then we get to MJF. He comes out to the ring with with his bodyguard Wardlow to humiliate and attack a, a tech guy or a camera guy at ringside before addressing Cody, telling Cody that uh, when he thinks of the word fake, he thinks of Cody and mocks Cody's speech impediment. Uh, MJF uh, challenges Cody to a one-on-one match, but tells Cody that there will be added stipulations which will be announced by MJF himself uh, at their Jacksonville show on the 1st of January 2020. So uh, MJF uh, continues to impress on the microphone. He's... Um, I don't know that there's uh, could be many contenders for best heel in the company, but uh, MJF in terms of his his microphone ability and the way that he can really stick it to the fans and stick it to his opponents on the microphone. I don't think there's anybody quite as good as MJF at the moment. Are you are you a fan of MJF? Uh, do you like his work? I mean, he, I don't think he's established or as established as a, as an in ring worker compared to his ability on the microphone. Maybe he is. I, I don't think I've seen an awful lot of him in the ring. If I'm honest with you, I think the most we see of MJF is when he's got. A, microphone in his hand giving it to somebody but uh your thoughts on mjf are you, are you a fan of his uh definitely a fan of him on the on the mic um unfortunately the one of one time we have seen him in the ring uh obviously against hangman uh was you know he, he blew the crossroads sort of yeah. spot whether that was <laughs> that was the last memory of that match but on the mic the guy's off the chart i mean it it's Everybody knew he was going to turn on Cody. The, we've known this from day one. He came into it as a heel. And obviously, it was a bit of a surprise when he was the top face's best friend, which yeah. was just like, no, okay, you, you know he's going to turn on him at some point. But the fact that he got the reaction that it did when he did turn speaks volumes for you know MGF. Uh, when he's on the mic, the guy's gold. Uh, I remember watching Dynamite, not Dynamite, Dark a few weeks ago, and he was doing guest commentary. Uh, I was howling. Some of the stuff he was coming out with is just... He's quick. He's got a great brain. Um, yeah, the dude's just an absolute star. He really is. Um, and then we had a, a, a match between uh, Big Swole versus Emi Sakura. Um, so this was an entertaining match with Big Swole winning, uh, winning the match on her official AEW Dynamite a debut Sorry, um, over the number three seed with a rolling elbow strike. So Big Swole getting a, a big win there on her debut. And then we get a match between super bad Kip Sabian and Sean Spears versus Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega. So now when it comes to a wrestler having that megastar aura, Kenny Omega has that special megastar aura as far as I'm concerned whenever he's anywhere near a wrestling ring. And you definitely felt it when he, when he made his entrance, with his entrance music, the reception he got from the fans 
He's got that special it factor as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this was another really good match, and it was great to see Kip Sabium ha- hang in there with, with you know three of the biggest stars in AEW. Well, maybe with the exception of Sean Spears, uh, but th- this match was was progressing nicely. That was until the lights in the arena went out, and then when the lights came back on, we saw Sean Spears' mentor Tully Blanchard uh, tied to a chair on the stage area with Joey Janela standing over Tully, causing Spears to to kind of abandon his partner and run to Tully Blanchard's aid. Uh, Sabian was left uh, all alone by the... to be greeted with a V-trigger from Omega, followed by the buckshot lariat from Hangman Page for the relatively easy pinfall win. So Kip Sabian was kind of uh, left um, at the mercy of Omega and uh, Adam Page in this one. Uh, but give us your thoughts, uh, Nick, on, on what we saw here from the four guys involved, uh, the, the match and the angle we witnessed with Tully Blanchard being used as a bit of a pawn um, in, in, the, in the war between Sean Spears and Joey Janela. Uh, did you enjoy this one? Yeah, I did. Uh, first of all, it's you know it's awesome to see Kip, as you sort of pointed out, hanging with like you know the three three big stars of AEW. Uh, I think the dude I've watched, I just literally before I watched this week's, so I watched last week's Dark, which was him versus Omega in the main yeah. event. Um, and yeah, the fact that these guys are giving Kip you know that time to do stuff like that, I think hopefully it's because they see something in him and he's going to be a big star. Uh, obviously, you've got Omega and Hangman in the on in the ring that's that's in itself awesome and i liked potentially uh, are we seeing uh at the start of a hill turn by page um the fact that he tagged himself in at the end to get the one two three and kind of left omega looking a bit puzzled that's yeah yeah that's a good observation from yourself there yeah carry carry on sorry i interrupted you there yeah no no that's all good uh but yeah and obviously spears is I'm, I'm all for Spears and Joey continuing the food, the feud. Even uh, it gives them a, a purpose to be there. It gives them a storyline. Uh, I think Spears is very underrated, and uh, if Joey can get the rub off of Spears, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's got to be good in the long run as well. Yeah, definitely. But uh, a really good observation from yourself and uh, Adam Page tagging himself in. Kenny Omega looking a bit puzzled as uh, you know as the as the match came to its conclusion and uh, yeah I mean I I personally think the character of the current Hangman Adam Page is a bit bland if I'm honest with you I yeah. think he's he's pretty good in the ring but I think his character is a bit bland so maybe as it does with with most heel turns it will elevate that character add a bit more depth to to the character and maybe that's what Adam Page needs now I know that he's had a bit of a a long term feud now with Pack Pack obviously is, is the clear cut heel in that feud. But, um, yeah. you know, the dynamic between those two, if, if uh, Adam Page were to turn a bit darker, that could be quite interesting. Or potentially maybe Adam Page has gone as far as far as he's likely to go as a babyface and maybe to progress any further or potentially to be anywhere near the world title picture again. Maybe he does need to turn heel. I think eventually at some point you're going to get a war game style uh, match between obviously the inner circle and the elite. Um, and just to, I don't know, a six month in advance spoiler, uh, that would be the perfect time to turn uh, Page heel. You know, he can cost the elite that match against the inner circle and join the inner circle. That would be a slow build. Yeah, yeah, quite an interesting book in there, but so that that could definitely happen. Um, and then a match that I really enjoyed: um, Sammy Guevara versus Luchasaurus. Now, th- this was an entertaining match, as you would expect, uh, not least because uh, Le Champion Chris Jericho was on commentary uh, alongside Jr. and uh, and Jack uh, Jake Hager, big the big hurt, I think they call him. Uh, Guevara was 
super impressive early on in this match with a huge dive over the top rope followed by a shooting star press off of the ring apron onto the Luchasaurus on the outside. Uh, Luchasaurus connects with a, a brutal German suplex before delivering a nice sequence of kicks before dropping Guevara face first uh, for the pinfall victory. So after the match, Jericho and uh, Jake Hager, uh, Big Hurt, races down to the ring to attack Luchasaurus only to have Jungle Boy get in there to out clean house and uh, Jungle Boy even got a, a visual pinfall over Chris Jericho with Marco Stunt counting the visual pin there uh, perfectly setting up the Jungle Boy's non-title match against Chris Jericho in uh, what, what the stipulation is a, a 10 minute time limit match against Chris Jericho on next week's uh, kind of massive episode of AEW Dynamite and uh, talking of massive some of the mat- matches that have been announced on next week's episode You've got uh, the Lucha Brothers going up against uh, Adam Page and Kenny Omega. So it'd be interesting to see if there's any more potential hints of a heel turn with Adam Page there teaming with Kenny Omega to go up against uh, the the Lucha Brothers. Britt Baker's taken on uh, Chris Statlander in what is being advertised as a number one contenders match. Uh, SCU will be defending their AEW World Tag Team titles against the winner of the main event, uh, which will be taking place shortly. Santana and Ortiz versus the Young Bucks. And uh, of course, as I've just mentioned, Chris Jericho will be taking on uh, Jungle Boy. So you've got, what, four matches there that uh, could headline pretty much any card anywhere in the world that are going to be on the same show next Wednesday. And they obviously know that they've got uh, a stacked NXT show to kind of go up against. But um Kind of give us your thoughts on on some of the matches that we got to look forward to next week on Dynamite, going up against Adam Cole versus Finn Balor and uh, Rhea Ripley versus Shayna Baszler. So you've got four big matches for AEW, two that have been announced for NXT. It's going to be a treat for any wrestling fan out there. That's it. That's what winds my gears at the minute in regards to people you know bitching and moaning about like AEW or NXT or even just calling it you know that, that Wednesday Night Wars. At the end of the day, this is this is literally like genuinely amazing. Like you know, you've, you've just reeled off these matches there for us to watch next Wednesday night. Uh, doesn't matter, you know, if I watch NXT when it's on or I watch AEW. I'm going to watch both shows. It's just yeah. depending on which one I watch on any, at any given time. And yeah, you know, with that, we've got these matches on on Wednesday night. It's absolutely mental. They say both of those, any of those matches will fit onto any pay per view anywhere and potentially still still the show. Uh, so yeah. It's going to be an amazing night, you know, next Wednesday on both shows. Uh, and there'll be other little bits that we don't know about that are going to happen, which are just going to, you know, make us, you know, jaw-dropping moments, I would presume. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it, it's, it's it's freaking awesome. That's, you know, it, it, it's a, the best time to be a wrestling fan at the minute, I reckon. It really is. But, uh, I mean, one kind of, to kind of throw a little bit of a, a slant on what we're saying here... NXT thrown out some some big championship matches next week. You've got some huge, uh, you've got a championship match on AEW next week. You've got Jericho going up against Jungle Boy, Lucha Brothers versus Kenny Omega, Adam Page. They're pulling out the big guns and the big matches that would be kind of pay-per-view level matches, really. Uh, Am I being a little bit pessimistic that they're being kind of pulling out these big matches and these big names almost on a weekly basis just to try and capture some ratings where some of these matches could be kind of, you know, put on ice a little bit and maybe held off until a future pay-per-view or a future takeover. They're kind of, you know, blowing some of these matches off too soon, maybe? Uh, Yeah, well, possibly. I think the thing is, though, as we talked about earlier with the slow build to Moxley and Jericho and uh, the pay-per-view being at the end of February, uh, NXT have that benefit as well, where they don't have, you know, like a, a big payoff show at the, you know, every month. We're probably talking 
what four or five NXT pay-per-views yeah. a month, uh, a year yeah. kind of thing. Correct. Again, they can do the slow build. You can have these highlight matches um, every three or four weeks potentially, um, and it still not feel like you know they're, they're shooting the load uh, for the sake of doing it because we've still then got another six weeks after to build for the pay-per-view matches. Yeah. Or you know, it just it it's like you get a peak of a peak in the middle of the feud before the big payoff at the at the pay-per-view. Um, it's just it works having like a eight week nine week turnover between the big the big ones. Um, yeah. And if they want to give us four and a half star matches, you know, on NXT or Dynamite, uh, if these guys will probably go out there and want to knock it up a notch, that means that we're going to get five star matches, you know, on yeah. the, on the big shows. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I I understand what you're saying there and agree with what you're saying. Definitely. And that lead, leads us nicely to the main event of this week's Dynamite then. And uh, is the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz. And it's a number one contenders match. And it's, it's billed as a Texas street fight, obviously, with them being in, in Texas this week. And of course, the winner of this match will take on SEU in next week's uh, massive episode of Dynamite. So this match started in, on the stage area um, after Matt and Nick Jack, uh, Matt and Nick Jackson, they were ambushed during their entrance if i can get my words out i'm so excited how this match went down even brandon cutler got involved and he was double power bombed through the staging area sammy guevara gets involved and he gets taken out with the uh out of the equation with a an, an undertaker i think they call it spiked pile driver from nick jackson um Nick Jackson drives Ortiz through a table with a huge scent on uh, from uh, from off the entrance tunnel. So he climbs up through on top of this entrance tunnel. They come through when they make their entrances and uh, smashes Ortiz through the table that's set up just underneath. And of course, with this match being a, a Texas death match or a Texas street fight, sorry, uh, there are no rules. There, there's tables, there's ladders, there's trash cans all set up around the ring. Uh, Santana goes through a table. You even have Matt Jackson. He went through a table next. And then uh, we see Ortiz uh, drive Nick Jackson through another table with a huge tope through the ropes. Uh, Jake Hager even gets involved. He pulls the referee from out of the ring. This causes Dustin Rhodes to come out and beat down Jake Hager. Uh, the Bucks then hit their uh, more bang for your buck, uh, but with the referee still out uh, on the outside, they have to wait until Aubrey Edwards, uh, another AW referee, she comes racing down to the ring to make the count, but can only get a two count. Santana and Otis, they, they hit their street sweeper combo, uh, but this time Edwards uh, gets pulled out. So Aubrey Edwards gets pulled out of the ring by Matt Jackson to save the match for his team. The stiff offense continues with even more chairs, even more tables and trash cans uh, being used. Uh, the, the Bucks get the win after this hard-hitting and punishing match with Ortiz experiencing the best Meltzer driver um, headfirst into a steel chair in the centre of the ring for the win for the Young Bucks. So, uh, and, and it will be the Young Bucks taking on SCU. Uh, so we know what the, the tag team title match is going to be on next week's Dynamite. And that is going to be a phenomenal match. You've got two babyface teams going up against one another. So an interesting dynamic there. I think potentially the Young Bucks could be the most popular with the fans. I don't know if the SEU have definitely got their, their fan base. So the crowd could be split 50-50. But this was a hell of a match. And all four men, Santana, Ortiz, Matt and Nick Jackson, they all put in some big moves. And uh, this was a really, really big match uh, to close off this week's NXT. So uh, this week's AEW, my apologies. What were your thoughts on what we just witnessed here there, Nick? Uh, and looking ahead to next week's match between the Bucks and SEU. Uh, well, firstly, uh, if what I read uh, online, that Nick Jackson had basically been laid out for the entire day before this match with flu. 
I then managed to get up and perform like he did in this match. Uh, the dude is, like, y'all can't see me, but I'm literally saluting the guy to actually do what he did during this match with flu is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, secondly, I love uh, the Brandon Cutler spot at the, at the start. He's quickly becoming like AEW's Kenny. He just seems to randomly, randomly turn up and then just get killed. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, but the, the match itself was, was great. It's like, you know, beforehand, they must have, when they was prepping the match or whatever, he's like, we're just going to go out there and just try and level the crap out of each other. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah we'll do that. And it, and it worked. Um, I think the right team won. Um, Young Bucks, obviously, uh, a, a, a great tag team. Um, and next week against SCU, uh, it's a weird dynamic, like I said, because it's two face teams going against each other. Um, well, on the flip side, in NXT, you've got two heel stars going against each other for the main title. So True. I think that'll be interesting on both shows. You've got two heels, two faces. Um, but yeah, I think those guys, Young Bucks, uh, Kaz and Scorpio, all know each other well enough that they'll go out there. Um, hopefully have a well-structured match, uh, not your stereotypical. It all turns into carnage after six minutes, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, but that's that'll be my only concern for the books SCU matches, that it's just going to be, you know, a spot fest, which is which is great uh, sometimes, but I would like to see, you know, it's slightly more, we find that balance, get a bit of story in there, spot out as much as you want, but tell a story while doing it. Yeah, and I think where I've been quite critical of the Young Bucks' matches um, since the uh, the launch of AEW, I think this match, although there was lots of spots in it and lots of, lots of uh, crazy moves through tables and the use of trash cans and steel chairs, I think they were still able to tell the story, I think for a couple yeah. of reasons. I think that the, the weapons helped to bring an element um, to, to the match and help to add to the story, but also felt that the you know the, the extra people that got involved, the, the Jake Hagers, the Brandon Cutlers, the Sammy Guevara's, the Dustin Rose, I think that helped the, the, the booking of the match and helped the story of the match so that it wasn't all about the moves and it wasn't all about the spots. So I think, whereas I've been very critical of the Young Bucks' matches just being spot fests, I think this match was very kind of, you know, it had that that element to it, but I think it told a much better story than I've been used to with the Young Bucks before because yeah, of the, the, the extra players in the game and the weapons, etc. So I think it really worked on this occasion. Yeah. AEW do brawls so well. That's one of the things I'm, I'm enjoying about AEW. Is yes, that it's they got do. that whole The brawls, you know, you could bitch and moan about or it always kind of, you know, comes out into a brawl or it ends up ruining the match. It doesn't. It always adds more to it, I reckon. And yeah, that's what they do. And like I said, that was the perfect example of um, they, they got that balance right. They had the spots in there, but thanks to the brawls, thanks to the interference, it, it told a story as well. Perfect, perfect. So, uh, like I say, I don't think we can complain about this week's uh, AEW Dynamite. It was a, a fantastic episode um, and a, a really hot way to open the show with that segment between the Inner Circle, Chris Jericho and John Moxley as well. And that kind of leaving us hanging on a thread as to whether John Moxley will join the Inner Circle. He was obviously thinking about it. That's obviously going to build to a more longer storyline, yeah. as we explained, uh, between those two eventually uh, ending up in, in, in the match, possibly with their February pay-per-view revolution. And then this uh, really hot way to, to cap things off on Dynamite and uh, a really good match. I thought I thought it was a fantastic match uh, to, to close the show. But um, let's have a little look at a bit of conversation regarding the ratings, because 
I think this is week 11 now where NXT and AEW have been going head to head on a Wednesday night. I know you don't like the, the kind of term Wednesday night wars. I'm not a massive <laughs> fan of it myself. But what's interesting is, is to see how the, the, the ratings kind of fluctuate on a week to week basis. Now, if I'm if I'm right in thinking, I think AEW have won the ratings between themselves and NXT on eight of the 11 occasions and NXT have won a couple uh one by quite a big margin on uh, I think Thanksgiving Eve and then uh, I think there might have been another occasion where they probably just slightly shaded uh NXT uh, AEW in the ratings it was the following two weeks after Survivor Series one I think it was yeah the that's right that's right yeah. and uh, but but this week was really interesting and uh, because uh, apparently according to reports um, according to Brian Alvarez, anyway, uh, from Figure Four Online, both shows scored exactly the same ratings. So both both shows, and they actually had a, saw a drop in the ratings, um, uh, but both shows uh, scored seven hundred and seventy eight thousand viewers. And now that's a, an amazing kind of coincidence uh, to have you know both shows coming at exactly the same viewership. Um, now, do you think there's anything behind this? I mean, do you look into the ratings at all and, and kind of what's your thoughts on on kind of the fact they've levelled out so much that they're actually equal in this week's ratings? Um, I do. As much as I, as I said, I, you know, I hate the, the, the Wednesday Night Wars term, um, I do obviously still have a look at the ratings just to sort of see uh, you know what's going on, purely because uh, I'm just waiting for the people that hate AEW for some reason um to you know get all happy and smug if NXT do does beat it one week yeah um I, I don't think you know as I say it doesn't matter as an actual fan of out and out wrestling I think any wrestling fan obviously should want both companies to do well because it just it's it's best for business and yes. um, yeah it's just the, the ratings are what they are like I said I do pay attention to them but it's, it's not, it don't really affect us in any way, shape or form. Yeah, yeah. And then there's something else uh, quite interesting that's come out recently is is Chris Jericho went on the, the Conan's podcast, Keeping It 100, and explained that he had to call a team meeting backstage with uh, AEW talent um, and the whole crew, I understand, in relation to talent not following the rules and burying the referee in matches. So Chris went on to say uh, on Conan's podcast that uh, he called a meeting with the whole crew and said that uh, you're burying the refs. If you don't have rules, then you don't uh, get any heat and it's killing our show because our honeymoon period uh, is over and now people are watching us and they are confused by the lack of rules. Uh, so that's slow changing he, he said to Conan on the, on the podcast uh, not too many days ago so uh, what were your thoughts on that I know there's been quite a few comments and uh, criticism online it's certainly in their tag matches where maybe the Lucha Brothers are kind of um, the, the biggest um, uh, culprits of this for not tagging or using tags or uh, you know the use of the, the tag rope not being kind of followed yeah. properly or the rules of the tag rope not being followed, followed properly and I think tag matches in particular um, you know seem to be coming into question but uh, I find Chris Jericho's statement on Conan's podcast quite interesting and the fact that he did have to call a team meeting and kind of bring it back down to earth and back to reality and to say that there are rules there and if we don't follow the rules then the fans are going to kind of catch us out on this one and our credibility goes out the window but what's your thoughts on some of Chris's comments there? Definitely I mean he, he knows the business if he's calling it as it is um, you know he's got it spot on you're right um, hopefully it wasn't a rah-rah speech um, but the yeah the they say the tag matches are, are key for that because 
remember in the first few weeks of AEW, JR tried to kind of cover it as much as possible. You know, we've sort of saying, oh, here we've got a 10 second rule to get outside of the ring. Yeah. Um, normally, obviously, in WWE, you've got five seconds to hit your double team move and get out. They tried to cover it with the uh, longer time period by saying, oh, you know, they had 10 seconds or 20 seconds um, just to make it look like they weren't treating the refs like mugs. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's the, the problem, it's, it's an ongoing joke at the minute, is that, you know, the. The refs, through no fault of their own, is you know they must just be stupid because there's, there's that much stuff going on that they're not noticing or calling. Uh, yeah, it undermines and you know, Jericho's yeah. got it spot on. That is one of the the, the negatives, you know, of, of AEW, uh, which it's, it's a learning curve. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like I say, eleven weeks now. I, I was going to say give them twelve weeks, and anything after the twelve week mark, we can start being overly critical with because they they should have ironed this stuff out within the first three months. Yeah, and I think that you said the right thing there. But, you know, the sensible thing is to, to give them time to iron out the, these issues. But after, you know, a couple of months now, what we're yeah. nearly three months in, 11, 12 weeks, they, they should have these issues. So I suppose Chris Jericho raising these points and addressing these points, um, you know, certainly need to be done at some point. And I'm glad they've done it, kind of done it now before it before it kind of impacts their performance or before it starts impacting the content even more than it had before so uh and and reports are that the lucha brothers uh you know are following these rules they're, they're abiding by the you know by the ta- traditional tag rules a little bit closer and uh, now that it's been addressed with everybody we probably won't see so many gifs and memes on on botches referee botches or uh, yes. kind of uh, where, where, the, where the tag rules aren't being followed but uh, let's have a little look while we've got the chance there nick uh, at some of the tlc matches so we said at the very top of the show that we was going to kind of throw out some of our predictions um and a bit of a preview for this uh, coming sunday's wwtlc pay-per-view now uh, we've got the Viking Raiders. Now, I think they've issued a bit of an open challenge for the Raw Tag Team Championship. So we won't spend any time talking about the Viking Raiders because we don't know who their uh, opponents are. I mean, do you have any any thoughts on who might kind of step up to the challenge? Are we going to see a surprise, a, a, a team that we haven't seen before or for a long time? What, what are your thoughts on this one? I'd say it's Street Profits. Um, you know, they, they gave them a bit of a tease uh, of, a, of a match previously but that lasted about eight minutes. Give them about a 15 minute match um, and it serves everybody, you know, good. If profits need to start doing something, you know, they're just kind of backstage entities at the minute more than anything, which yeah. is underselling them. You know, you're not using them to full potential. Uh, it would just be nice to get an established team up against the Viking Raiders, have them involved in a storyline for, you know, a couple of months. If it stops the Viking Raiders doing squash matches each week, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, definitely. I think the Street Profits would be uh, good opponents for the Viking Raiders on Sunday. I'd love to see that match um, uh, because, yeah, the Street Profits have been used not too well, we could say, compared to how they were used in NXT. Uh, but that would be a good match if, they, if they're given a good 10 to 15 minutes for sure. Uh, Rusev versus Bobby Lashley. Uh, this is described or advertised as a, a tables match. Um, some people are kind of saying that this storyline is ridiculous. Other people are starting to get into the storyline, but this is kind of their a bit of their blow off match to this feud. Um, I don't know whether Alana is going to be the prize at the end of it for the winner. I, I don't really care to be honest with you. But uh, uh, any any kind of thoughts on this one? And who who would you kind of pick out as your winner in this one? Bobby Lashley versus Rusev. It's got to be Rusev. It's the only way he's coming out of it with any credibility. Uh, this match needs to be like a, a freaking 10-star Meltzer 
<laughs> amazing match just to justify this feud for, or this this storyline for the last you know x amount of time i know some people have enjoyed it because it's so bad it's entertaining um yes. no it's it's lana just just being awful on a week-to-week basis <laughs> it's just i love rusev rusev's great i miss the rusev day Lashley's yes. he's been brought back in under you know he he could be not world champion but he could have been one of those guys that sort of feuding for you know the IC belt or the US belt, and it being very having very credible matches. Yeah. Uh, so I think the match itself will be awesome because both guys can go. Uh, it just needs to be freaking awesome um, to justify it. Do you know what? Though I've got a funny feeling that Lana's going to get involved, and it's going to Lana's going to get involved in the in the finish, and it could be a bit of a screw finish thanks to her. So uh, yeah, let's keep oh. our fingers crossed that uh, either she gets um, uh, ejected or maybe you know knocked out at ringside so they can just be left to to finish the match and have a clean yes, finish. But uh, I'm interested to see what happens here. But the storyline I'm not a fan of the two wrestlers, and uh, hopefully the match I will be a fan of. But uh, let's have a look at um, Alistair Black versus Buddy Murphy. So I don't think they've advertised the kickoff uh, kickoff match yet for the kickoff show now usually they have one or two matches on the kickoff show but nothing's been officially announced as a kickoff match yet this one out of all of them could potentially be relegated down to the kickoff but to be honest with you i hope that it doesn't because i'm a big big fan of these two alistair black uh i mean we've barely seen him since he's come up onto the main roster i know he suffered one or two injuries um, and he's still not back up to 100%. Buddy Murphy, uh, since he dropped his, his Cruiserweight Championship bout to Tony Nice at WrestleMania, we've barely seen him. He's been involved in one or two backstage things. He's briefly involved in the uh, who attacked uh, Roman Reigns angle with uh, Daniel Bryan and all that. But so we, we've barely seen him. I know he's had a, a really good match with Roman Reigns. Um, uh, I think it was Roman Reigns he had a good match with a few weeks ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, Buddy Murphy, Alistair Black, two really excellent talents. Um, but um, I'd love to see these two get a decent amount of time to really show what they can do in the ring. Uh, but what's your thoughts on these two? Right, these two, um, we mentioned it earlier with the NXT show. If you're not on the main event, you want to go on first. For me, these two guys should be the first match on the main show tonight. I think they, they potentially, both of them are off the charts. Black's freaking amazing. Yeah. Uh, been a since kind of his, you know, since back in the uh, Tommy End days. Uh, the guy can just go. He's absolutely, he's totally underutilised at the minute. If that's because of injury, fair play. If it's because they don't know what they're doing with him, more for them. Uh, mm. But yeah, these two guys, Murphy as well. Murphy's um, top notch. But they could go out there, have a solid 10, 15 minute match, open up the show, get the fans buzzing because it's going to be counter after counter, pinfall after, you know, pinfall, near four. Um, and yeah, hopefully obviously ends with a black mass. Uh, jobs are good yeah like you say if you can't main event you want to open the show and these two would be great uh, show openers and uh, to raise that curtain on Sunday nights um, what about the, the Kabuki Warriors Asuka and Kairi Sane versus Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair on paper this looks like quite an intriguing match it looks like it could be quite quite a good match as well um, I, I've got a feeling that there might be some storyline development here possibly leading to a, a match or some sort of breakdown at Royal Rumble I don't know whether they're lining Charlotte up as, as Becky Lynch's next opponent or what might happen really I, I, I am liking I'm enjoying what they're doing with the Kabuki Warriors of late since they got the tag team championships they've turned heel 
the green mist uh, i really like the, the cocky heel personas of curry sane and asuka um but uh, so on paper this looks like quite an interesting match i'm interested to see how it develops how it goes um but uh, this is for the women's tag team championships of course and it is going to be a tlc match it's going to be a tables ladders and chairs match so it is for awesome talents involved in that sort of stipulation um i think it's going to be a real treat on sunday night this is one of the matches i'm looking forward to uh, more than the other ones, um, purely the, the Kabuki Warriors are, are the highlight of SmackDown for me on a mostly you know on a week to week basis. Um, it's they yeah they're awesome. What they've done, I want to say SmackDown. Um, they, I've got a horrible horrible feeling though that obviously Becky and Charlotte are going to win. Um, there's no way for them to lose via disqualification or you know anything like that because it's a TLC match. Uh, there's no way they're putting the Kabukis over um, Becky and Charlotte, and it's just going to lead to a Becky and Charlotte feuding for the women's title, even though they are tag team title holders yeah. at the same time. You know, open up this strange dynamic, uh, you know, for the future storytelling um, at the sacrifice of the Kabuki Warriors, who are awesome. Yeah, I've got, I've got a kind of sinking feeling that you're right there, my friends, and uh, I hope that we're wrong. Um, I, 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 like I say, you can foresee a Becky Lynch Charlotte Flair uh, feud happening around Royal Rumble time, possibly leading to WrestleMania. I don't know, maybe we're thinking too far ahead, but uh, I think that uh, whatever happens Sunday night will kind of be the, the seeds towards that. But I just hope that the Kabuki Warriors aren't the sacrificial lambs um, yeah. at, at the hands of Lynch and Flair. Um, but um, so I think that there's a lot of potential in, in, in the storyline with, with Charlotte Flair and, and Becky Lynch. But I, I want them to keep the Kabuki Warriors strong if they can. Um, yeah. But uh, what about uh, the New Day versus the Revival? Now, I was a little bit disappointed that uh, the Revival, that they won a, uh, a four-team uh, kind of elimination match last week to become the number one contenders to the New Day's crown. Uh, but I was a little bit disappointed that Shorty G or Chad Gable and Mustafa Ali didn't win that match because I think that would have been some fresh opponents for the championship yeah. um, against the New Day. But the Revival... We're all big fans of the revival, but we know what's coming when it comes to the revival. We know we're going to get with it. They're going to get jobbed out uh, sooner or later. Uh, but they keep getting put into these championship matches, Nick. They keep getting these opportunities. Um, but uh, we know that the long-term plans aren't great for them. We know that it certainly looks like it from the outside looking in that the management aren't firmly behind the revival like they should be, and that potentially the revival could be leaving the company when their contracts end. So it's strange when they keep getting added into these championship matches. It's a match that I'm looking forward to because uh, I think a recent stipulation has been added where it's now a ladders match between the New Day and the revival. So that should add quite a, a nice um, uh, element to the match. But what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, an enjoyable match purely because of the, the guys involved. Both teams can go. Uh, both teams have got good chemistry. Uh, it's just, you know, when the Revival are having matches, you kind of go online to sort of see when the contracts are up. Uh, you know, if the contracts are up within the next few months, you're pretty certain they're going to win the belts. So WWE can kind of, you know, give them a push and sort of say, look, you know, we'll give you the belts if you sign a new contract. Mm. Sign the contract. They, they drop the belts and then they get itching powder down the trunks for the following eight months. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah, I feel bad for the revival. The guys are, are too good. Um, the, the, the thing is, though, they, yeah, the, the creative have got no idea how to use them. That's the problem. Um, but I think they could flourish, you know, in any other promotion. 
Uh, AEW would be immense. NWA would be off the chart. I mean, I'd love to see uh, the revival down on NWA power, but then I'd, I'd want them to have a bigger platform as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, it's going to be a good match. Um, go online, check when the revival's contracts are, are up for renewal. If it's at the start of next year, I'd peg them to win the titles. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I'm I'm going for the New Day because I think the outcome is is fairly obvious. To be honest with you, I think that they're more behind a team like the New Day at the moment compared to the Revival, which is why it's a shame that uh, they're, they're not giving the New Day some fresh opponents and a fresh opportunity to say the likes of Chad Gable and uh, Mustafa Ali, who deserve to be uh, in, in kind of a tag team championship match like this, or any sort of uh, highlighted match, any sort of featured match on a pay per view. It's a real shame they're not being shown more often. Um, have you got any interest, Nick, in the following match? Roman Reigns versus King Baron Corbin. Any interest in that one at all? It's a TLC match. Uh, there's, there's nothing on the line. There's no titles on the line, um, apart from maybe a few uh, tins of dog food. Who knows? Um, but uh, it's not a match that's really got me, to be honest with you. I've got no interest in this one. It's probably one that I'll be kind of skipping through uh, on my review very quickly. But uh, uh, any interest in this one from yourself? Yeah, I want to say I do. Um, I'm I'm a fan of Reigns. I think this last 12 months, people have started to warm to the fact, you know, the guy is a great talent. Um, They've kind of stopped pushing pushing him down our throats now. So I think we're allowed to like him a bit more as a, you know, as a smart fan. Um, Corbin is 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 doing well with what he's given. The dude is becoming potentially, possibly the top heel on SmackDown. Uh, The dog stuff freaking awful not a fan of that in the slightest but i do like the the king corbin thing um i like you know it's old school book of t when you know he's got the crown he sort of becomes this pretentious sort of you know pompous yeah sort of like i'm better than everybody else kind of character heel character uh so yeah i'll, I'll watch it if they can have a solid match you know awesome um i'm going to go into it with ridiculously low expectations uh but hopefully i'll be pleasantly surprised because both guys um, I've got the you know the, the ability to have you know, a, a very solid match. Mm, yeah, I do agree with you. And uh, I mean, I was I was kind of only only kind of half serious. I mean, I, I, I do like these individuals. I'm intrigued by the the stipulation, the tables, ladders, and chairs match. So it'll be interesting to see how they utilise the gimmicks. Um, I do like. King Corbin's character. I do like him as a heel, as a, as a pompous uh, heel, of course. Um, I, I, I think my biggest criticism is the build towards the match, to be honest yeah. with you. How they have they built the match storyline, you know, the guys in the dog costumes, the little yapping puppy on the screen, the use of the dog food last week. You would think, you know, with these two top talents that they're probably paying millions of dollars to every single year if that's the best kind of build to a big match for a pay-per-view like this that they can come up with then they need to sack the writers and start again as far as i'm concerned because uh, a five-year-old could have come up with um, a build to to a match like this uh, better than what they've what they've given us and it's potentially the main event as well. That's the, the build to the main event. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, the match that I'm leaving till last is a match that kind of has got a lot of people interested uh, for, for a number of reasons. And it's Bray Wyatt versus The Miz. Now, I have never really spoke about The Miz in kind of like, uh, you know, in these sort of terms before, but he it's piqued my interest. I mean, a few weeks ago, the Miz was you've seen him weekly on Miz TV doing interviews. Um, he had an okay feud with Shane McMahon leading up to WrestleMania. 
but he's kind of been a bit obscure, bit uh, kind of in the in the background uh, since then, really. So for the last six to eight months, we haven't really seen a lot from the Miz. But Bray Wyatt's come into the picture now. It's not the Fiend; it's Firefly Bray Wyatt. So the the kind of jumper, the sweater wearing Bray Wyatt. Um, now we've not seen him outside of the Firefly Funhouse, apart from maybe one or two backstage bits. And I think that uh, when he had the the photograph of the Miz's family and him in the photo replacing the Miz holding the baby quite a haunting picture but it's kind of intrigued me and i like the fact that we're going to see funhouse bray white instead of the fiend i think that uh, they were using the fiend a bit too much we've seen in weekly where it's kind of one of them special characters that needs to be protected and looked after and uh, kind of only used sparingly and uh, i'm glad that they've kind of switched up a little bit it's very reminiscent of mick foley when he had the mankind the dude love the cactus jack character and kind of being able to switch and interchange between the two of them like a, a bit of an alter ego a bit of a bipolar uh, thing but uh, um, I'm interested in this one because of, of, of Bray Wyatt and the dynamic that we haven't seen him outside of the funhouse and that it's become quite a, a bit of a psychological storyline with the Miz and the Miz's family getting involved as well. So what, what are your thoughts leading into this one and who do you think might uh, come out on top? Uh, no, I fully agree with you, mate. It's, the, it's weird. Uh, well, it's not weird. It's just it's good. That fact's like say the fact I'm, I'm invested in a match where the Miz is in for a start. Um, yeah. The, the whole fact that you've got the, the, the Bray Wyatt uh, Fiend dynamic, as you sort of said, you know, the Fiend's going after Daniel Bryan, Bray Wyatt's going after The Miz. Um, I think the match itself is going to be, uh, is going to be a good story. Um, the Miz is consistent, you know, he's, he can consistently deliver three and a half you know, star matches. He's never going to give you a five star match, but he's never no. going to give you a one or two star either. Um, the dude's safe. Um, not his biggest fan, but, you know, I've got respect to him. Uh, yeah, he's reliable, uh, and Bray Wyatt is just—he's got such an amazing brain. From as from a creative point of view, massive, massive Bray fan. The dude just looks like he could, you know, turn anything into a, a believable, interesting storyline. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and and I'm hoping we get a return of Morrison to help the Miz out tonight. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, but uh, there we go. So after looking at, after running down the matches, and it's only had seven matches in out so far, it doesn't look too bad. Some of the matches there are definitely uh, worth watching. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed that there's no Nakamura and Sami Zayn. I think that they've become quite a, a decent, watchable part of SmackDown each week or... Um, I think, yeah, I think they're part of SmackDown. Uh, I lose track of kind of where the champions are nowadays because it's so interchangeable and it's so generic sometimes. But... Uh, it should be good for what it is. Apparently, they were feeding Nakamura to Braun Strowman before Braun got injured. That's yeah, I've heard. yeah. So maybe that's it's going to be a continuation of that storyline fairly soon. But uh, Nick, we, we've spoken about NXT, we've spoken about AEW Dynamite, we've covered TLC. Do you fancy uh, a two-minute brainbuster quiz, buddy? <laughs> well, uh, but God, I'll do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm so. The, the, the rules are, so I've got a list of questions in front of me. They're all kind of fairly general knowledge wrestling questions. Some are tougher than others. Some are more recent than others. Um, but when I hit the start button on my stopwatch and ask the first questions, the two minute starts, and uh, you need to try and answer as many questions correctly in them two minutes. Now, uh, at the top of the leaderboard, we've got uh, Grizz. 
from a couple of weeks ago who uh, answered uh, nine correct questions in two minutes. Uh, on the opposite end of the leaderboard, unfortunately, we got to poor old Kieran down there at three. Um, so you got to, you know, get somewhere in between and that would be a credible uh, effort. But um, these are questions that kind of span modern day wrestling, maybe uh, wrestling from 10 years ago, some from the 90s, maybe. Um, but uh, they're all kind of things that you probably would have heard or read about over the years as a wrestling fan. Um, so hopefully you'll know the answers. But uh, um, you can pass as many times as you want. But my advice is just, if you're not sure, kind of think about a question and, and, and give an answer because it might be the right answer, even if you're not sure. Uh, because once the two minutes are up, that's the end of the quiz. Uh, no matter where we are in the middle of the question or where you are in the middle of an answer, if you haven't fully completed an answer by the time it gets to zero, that is the end of the quiz. And we go back to the, uh, the kind of last uh, count of questions that you uh, correctly answered, if I can get my words out. So the clock will start when I ask my first question then, Nick. So let me just get my finger poised on the start button here. And uh, a nice easy one to kick us off, hopefully anyway. And the quiz starts now. Who did Chris Jericho beat to become the first AEW world champion? Pack. Can you name Nick Aldis's opponent? Uh, can you name Nick Aldis's opponent in, for the NWA World Title at this weekend's Into the Fire pay per view? So Nick Aldis's opponent, James Storm. Which former eight-time NWA World Champion died in August of this year? Oh crap! Uh, Harley Race. Who was the third member of the Brood after Edge and Christian? Gangrel. Can you name Booker T's real-life brother and Harlem Heat tag team partner? Stevie Ray. Who was the second person ever to hold the NXT Championship? Pac. In which city did Pat Patterson allegedly become the first ever intercontinental champion? Uh, uh, Toronto. Who won the King of the Ring tournament in 1994? Hot. What year did the first New Japan Wrestle Kingdom take place? 2006. I don't know. Can you name the current Impact Women's Champion? Shit, no. Pass. Can you name one member of the Blue World Order? The Blue World Order. Stevie Richards. Which year did Hulk Hogan sign with the WCW? 94. There are currently three two-time WWE Hall of Famers. Can you name one of them? Ric Flair. Oh, and that is the two minutes up, buddy. So let's see. You, you, you were asked 13 questions. So let's have a look. Uh, how do you think you did? A couple of stupid answers that I should have known better. Um, so, probably about. So I think the first, the first one you're going to kick yourself over. So let's go through yeah, the ones that. Yeah. So who did Chris Jericho defeat to become the first ever AEW World Champion? You said, you said, uh, I think you said Pack, but to Adam Page. Of course, Adam yeah. Page won the uh, Casino Battle Royale at Double or Nothing, and then they uh, went on to face each other at All Out. I think uh, in 
August, August the 31st, and Chris Jericho beat Adam Page. Uh, so that was incorrect, unfortunately. You're you kicking yourself for that one. Should have got that one right. Um, can you name Nick Aldis' opponent in NWA uh, into the fire for the world title? You correctly answered James Storm. Which former eight-time NWA world champion died in August of this year? Um, I think you, you said Harley Race. Did yeah, you not? Yeah, I did. So Harley Race is correct. Well done. Uh, so that's uh, two from three at the moment. Uh, who was the third member of the brood after Edge and Christian? You said Gangrel. That was also correct. Question five. Can you name Booker T's real-life brother and Harlem Heat tag team partner, Stevie Ray? So that's another one correct. Um, who was the second person ever to hold the NXT championship? So you answered Pac. Now, the first, the first check. The first champion was uh, Seth Rollins. So, yeah. uh, really, who beat Seth Rollins to become the second ever NXT uh, champion? And it was Big E, Big E Langston. Yeah. There we go. Uh, so, in which city did uh, Pat Patterson allegedly become the first ever Intercontinental Champion? So, it was uh, it was kind of a bit of a made up storyline uh, scenario where Pat Patterson was meant to have won a battle royal in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, quite a famous story, but uh, of course the match never happened. He was just handed the title, but that's a legendary story. Uh, question number eight: Who won the King of the Ring tournament in 1994? Um, I think you passed on that one, but the correct answer. Oh, well, <laughs> so sorry, said it again. You said Bret Hart. Oh, Bret Hart. Bret Hart won the King of the Ring tournament in 1993. The following year, it was his brother Owen Hart. So unlucky there. You got the surname right, but not the uh, not the Christian name. Uh, what year? What year did New Japan uh, Wrestle Kingdom take place? So you said uh, 2006. Now next year will be Wrestle Kingdom 14. If you Track back uh, all of that. The first Wrestle Kingdom took place in 2007. Um, oh, so I, I checked my facts on that one. So uh, you was one year out. So unfortunately, that's incorrect. Um, can you name the current Impact Women's Champion? Uh, I think you passed on that one. It was uh, Taya Valkyrie. And she's been the champion for nearly a whole year. She's been a champion since uh, January the 6th of 2019. Uh, can you name one member of the Blue World Order? So you said uh, Stevie Richards or a big Stevie Cool. Uh, you could have said uh, the Blue Guy um, or Hollywood Nova. But you've got Stevie Richards. I'm going to give you that one. So that's question 11, correct. Uh, which year did Hulk Hogan sign with WCW? Uh, 1994, you were correct on that one as well. Uh, there are currently two, uh, sorry, three two-time WWE Hall of Famers. Of course, there's going to be more when uh, the NWO go in. All of those would be two-time uh, Hall of Fame champ Hall of Fame uh, ring holders, and of course, um, uh, yeah, you, you've got uh, you said Ric Flair, uh, and that was correct. Uh, you could have said Bret Hart, of course. You could have said uh, Booker T, um, but uh, Ric Flair was the correct answer there. Question: Where are we? Uh, I think that was our last one actually. So let's tot all these up. One, two, three, four. So you've already surpassed Kieran. Uh, five, six. Seven. So you got seven correct answers there. So well done, Nick. Uh, officially second on the leaderboard, a couple behind Grizz. Um, but uh, a really good effort there. I think you did really, really well. Uh, how, how did you find the, the Brain Buster quiz, buddy? Intense. Uh, it, yeah, it's I intense, think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
I threw him off my first question. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It's kind of nice to know that I do know some stuff as well. Yes, I think you surprised yourself. You can you can be really proud of your effort there. Had you have got the first one right, had you have got Adam Page out, that would have been eight. And I think that there was a couple where you was maybe a year out. Um, yeah. Like I say, you said Bret Hart instead of Owen Hart. You said 2006 instead of 2007. So you know, there was potential to to uh, get a little bit closer to Grizz's score of nine. But uh, well done, buddy. So uh, you, you're second on the leaderboard. And seven is a very good score, a very credible score. And of course, if you come on the podcast again sometime in the future, you'll have an opportunity to better your score. So um, Nick, I want to thank you for uh, being our guest host on the Wrestling with Jonas, uh podcast this week. Uh, do you have any, any social media handles? any any kind of uh, twitter pages any instagram pages facebook pages where the listeners of wrestling with Jonas can go out and say hi get in touch uh ask you about your your wrestling art uh where they can just uh, you know just uh, get in touch and uh, uh get in touch and say hi nick yeah um facebook page which is wrestling artwork v2 um instagram just uh, nick towers n-i-k-t-o-w-e-r-s uh Twitter would be Pencil Tree. Uh, there's a Facebook page as well called Pencil Tree Artwork. Um, and yeah, just Nicholas Towers on, on Facebook. Well, obviously, uh, you see me popping up in the comments uh, on the podcast page uh, occasionally, talking bollocks possibly, or you know, trying to make it sound like <laughs> But yeah, um, anybody wants to give us a shout or get in contact or give us a follow, uh, generally friendly guy, always happy to talk about wrestling. Awesome, awesome. It's all good stuff. And what I try to do is uh, put some of your social media links in the description to this episode so they can just click on that and uh, find you and say hi. But uh, Nick, thank you very much for being a part of the Wrestling with Jonas podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your appearance on the show, buddy. Yeah, oh, thanks for having me, mate. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed awesome. it. You've uh, officially popped my podcast cherry. There we go. Well, uh, I'm pleased to hear that, but thank you very much. And uh, that's pretty much it from this week's episode of Wrestling with Jonas. Please keep it tuned to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast for all of your weekly NXT and AW updates. Of course, regular uh, WWE and AW pay-per-view reviews and special interviews and so much more. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends and tell your family. And don't forget to hit that ever, ever important uh, subscribe button so that you can be notified every time a new episode drops. But uh, in the meantime, from myself and from Nick, we'll catch up with you all again soon. Have a great weekend, guys. Mm-hmm.